uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, uh, Pastor PJ, uh, Pastor PJ Dacus covered uh, our previous verses, and he talked about what actually Jeff just prayed about. That at one time, as Christians, we were what? Separated, we were alienated, we were without any hope, uh, and we were uh, 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 without God in our lives. That's where all of us lived. And Paul wrote that to the Ephesian church and said, this is where you all once were at one point in your life. And he said, those, though, who were far off have been brought near, right? Those who are far off have been brought near. That reminds me of like Sesame Street, you know, whatever they go. You are near and you are far, you know, and then now you're near. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only Sesame Street? Okay. Yeah, okay. There you go. Just come along with me on my journey here. Um, but that's what it makes me think of. And so God has done that same thing. Those of us who were far off have been brought near. How? Yeah, there you go. Come on, you know this answer through the precious blood of Jesus. Yeah, by repenting of our sins, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. All of this is accomplished through him, which means his life, his death, his resurrection uh, from the dead uh, uh, have brought us near to God. And so um, uh, without our sin being paid for, we cannot see God except as judge. Okay? We get the end of our life. Your sins are not covered by the precious blood of Jesus. You will meet God, but you'll meet him as his, you will meet him as judge. But if you trust in Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, where Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all, right? All to him I owe. Sin has left a what? Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yeah, he'll wash your sins white as snow. That's what the precious blood of Jesus does for us as Christians. He makes us clean. He makes us clean and pure before him. He, we, we're like whitewashed. We, he said we, we're like a, a, a snow-covered dung is how one commentator put it. That we, that's how we are, that we're covered with the precious a blood of Jesus, that he cleanses us and makes us whole. He is our peace. And then in, in our text last week, it, uh, Paul talked about the fact that he makes both Jews and Gentiles one people, people who are at odds with one another. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And so in that, he had broken down any dividing walls. He had broken, he had given access to God where there was separation before. He had given access to God and he had broken down any walls of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. So people who were at odds with one another now were living literally in the same church together, worshiping the same God together uh, because of their, the, the fact that they had followed Jesus and they'd been made into new creations. And any hostility that existed should be put to death because of Jesus' death on the cross. We're going to touch a base a little bit more about that today. Last week's text ended with this verse. Verse 18 last week said, For through him we both have access in one spirit to uh, the Father. It says, we all come to Jesus in one way, and that is through the proclamation of the gospel and through repentance and faith in Jesus. This is not, we don't come to Jesus by religious practices, okay? I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what you grow up in or what you may be existing in today, but we only come through to Jesus through repentance and faith. You come to be in a relationship with God through Jesus. He is the only way. This is not about rituals. 
You may be in a church or you may have existed your entire life where you do ritualistic things that bring you closer to God. That's not what the scripture teaches us. You may have been grown up or, or, or taught that there are, um, uh, there, there's another intermediary between you and God. There's only one intermediary between God and man. Who is that? The man Christ Jesus. That's what the scripture says very, specific, very specifically. And so there's only one way, and his name is Jesus. We all, say all, all have access to God through one way, through one spirit, and that is repentance and faith. That's believing the gospel. This, this verse kind of gives a nod to Trinitarian th- uh, theology. It says through him, he's talking about through Jesus, we both have access, both Jews and Gentiles, uh, in one spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So in this one verse, you can see there's a nod to Trinitarian theology, which I think is kind of cool uh, as you kind of find those places in the text that you find uh, of nods to the Trinity. We are Trinitarians here, in case you're new to us. Uh, we believe there's one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we're Trinitarians uh, here. We believe that's, that's very clear in the Scripture. So let's get to today's text, and we'll jump into today's part of the sermon. So verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray again one more time, and then we'll jump into our text. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, help us today. Help me today to proclaim your words to your people. Uh, Do a good work in us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And So this is one of those statements that as you're reading your Bible, as you're reading this in the text, that you can kind of just run over. It, It can be one of those you just speed right past, but the majority of my time I'm actually going to spend on this verse today. Because it really connects and wraps us up into what Paul has been conveying to the Ephesian church, and honestly, our church, I believe, today. Verse 18 says, We all, Jews and Gentiles, have access to Jesus by, uh, by the Spirit to God the Father. And now, because of that, none of us that are in part of the household of faith are strangers and aliens. None of us anymore are strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. We're kind of one together with the saints and the members of the household of God. So think about that. First off, we were strangers and aliens. That's what Paul is assuming here, or not assuming, but he is declaring here uh, to the church at Ephesus. He said, as he's writing this, think about what he's doing. He's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says, remember, all of you, you were once strangers and aliens. See, Gentiles uh, who were non-Jews at the time, they were foreigners or aliens or outside of Israel. And when a stranger or an alien would come into their territory or where some Jewish people were settling, sometimes they would have to pay this protection tax. A protection tax would, would be a tax that they would pay to the government to kind of be protected because they recognized that they didn't belong there. Okay? They recognized that that wasn't their home. They they weren't part of the local scene. 
And so they had to pay to kind of be protected so no one would harm them. You ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like an alien or a stranger? Or you didn't belong in a place or you didn't belong to with a people? Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you've walked into a church and go, not my thing. I did that for a lot of my life. Walked into a lot of churches. Knew it wasn't my thing. Just made my way through it. I mean, many of you honestly have moved into Memphis. Who in here, Memphis is not your home? Like you weren't born here. Like Memphis is not your home. I wasn't born here. Raise your hand. Let me see you. A lot of people. So, so, um, uh, so many of you moved in, whether it was military or maybe your job moved you here or whatever cir- some circumstances brought you here. You're not native to Lakeland or Arlington, at least. This may be a new home for you. Or the U.S. Say it again. Or the USA, yes. That's right. So completely outside of the USA. And so it, sometimes it can feel like you're an outsider. Outside the in crowd. Anybody ever felt like that? Outside of maybe the political circles that go on that happen in your town. Outside the social workings of your community. Maybe sometimes you feel like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm not on the in crowd. Like with the Gentiles... In Jesus' day, we've probably experienced some of that feeling at some point. Again, maybe even today. Listen to me. In the church of Jesus Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ, this is not the way things are supposed to be. The church is called to be inclusive people. We're called to be a people that welcome in the stranger. We're called to be people that welcome in people who are not like us. Look at your neighbor right now. Not, not, your, not your spouse, not anybody in your family, okay? Look at somebody. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Ricky Dyer, look at somebody besides <laughs> your spouse and look around and see somebody that's not you, that's not in your family, and say, I'm inclusive. Are you inclusive? Let's try that one more time. Look at somebody else that's not in your family and say, I'm inclusive. Are you inclusive? That's pretty uncomfortable, wasn't it? Good, good. Well, you'll know how the the church at Ephesus probably felt. You had Jews and Gentiles together who just didn't associate with one another at the time. Uh, look, we, we see this inclusiveness in Paul's writings as he's kind of preached. Look, as he's writing through this. Look again in verse 18. He says, For through him, look, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who has access? We, right? He's saying we. He says, uh, Both. So if you're an underliner in your Bible, underline, we, through him, we both, underline circle, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who is both? Yeah, Jews and Gentiles. So both Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father. Look what it says then in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So who is no longer a stranger and alien? Who? Yeah, the Gentiles. And basically that would be, he would be speaking to you and me. 
Because all of us in this room that I'm aware of, we're all Gentiles. We're all Gentiles. And anyone, and really he's speaking here to anyone who is a Christ follower. Because he was speaking to the church. And he's speaking to someone outside that, that had been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus. And he said, we together have access to God because of Jesus' work on our behalf. You are no longer a stranger and alien. You are now family. You are now one people. To all those people that you just looked around at and said something to very uncomfortably, we're all one people because we are made family by the precious blood of Jesus. How cool is it that God has done a new thing both then and now? Think about that. Just as Paul was writing to the church then, he could have written it to the church here. He could have written it to here. He wouldn't necessarily have been writing to Jews and Gentiles, but he might have been writing to some people from Arlington and from Lakeland and from, from Cordova and from Kossuth and from people outside the country and, and from all over. I mean, people, there, there's people that in this church that are from all over the place, and he's going, hey, I've made you one in Christ Jesus. There's not dividing walls between you anymore. Here, God took a people who were really arch enemies with one another. The Jews and the Gentiles literally had nothing good to do with one another. And he united them together as one type organism, the church. He made them the church. And this is how God sees his people. He sees us. He sees the church as one united people. Let's think about this a little more globally, though. Because this not only applies to Jews and Gentiles, but really the entire church for all believers for all time, those of us who have been rescued from our sin uh, by, the, by the blood of the Lamb, he's, he's talking to all of us at this time. And this thought of being a fellow citizens with the, saint, with the saints kind of sharpens our thoughts and our gaze toward any dividing lines that there may be between us. So the body of Christ, there are no national distinctions. Think about this. Man, I, I'm a red-blooded American, okay? God, I'm a Lee Greenwood singing, God bless the USA. I got a flag in front of my house. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a red, white, and blue American. But in the gospel, it says that we drop our dividing lines. We don't make distinctions between people who might be from somewhere else. There are no racial distinctions. He says that there shouldn't be anything between us that keeps racial division that, that might pop up within us, that that should be crushed because of the gospel. And, and so we're, we're, we're a bunch of whiteies for the most part in here, okay? And through the years, we, 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 there's always been racial divisions, white, black, Hispanic, you know, whatever that might be, there's always been divisions that exist, right? I mean, I ain't telling you something you don't know or something you experience or something might, you might even be a part of. But the gospel says that there's nothing like that that should divide us anymore. Nothing like that should divide us anymore. Because we are one in Christ Jesus. All of us, no matter our nationality, no matter the color of our skin, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, right? And it wasn't some white guy that made us alive together with Christ Jesus, right? It was Jesus Christ, God the Son, that made us alive together and adopted us into his family. He didn't care what we looked like. 
There should be no political distinctions. I'm so sick of politics. You know what I'm saying? I'm sick of it. Uh, and, and I don't care if you're a Democrat or I don't care if you're a Republican. I really don't care. Uh, but what I want us to do is for that not to be the thing that divides us. I'll just tell you this. Listen to me, Refuge Church. Listen. If you are part of this church family and you feel the need to get on your Facebook page and start putting a bunch of political garbage on there that brings division between people, you're probably going to get a phone call from me. Just so you know. You may not care about that either. Uh, you may go, I don't care what you have to say, Scott Benjamin. Well, I'm going to preach the gospel to your heart at that point, okay? Ooh, sorry. Uh, there should be no barriers between us. There should be nothing that puts a barrier between people. And I know barriers get built up. Who's got a... You, no, don't raise your hand. I'll raise... I'll raise the proverbial hand for you at this point. Who has a barrier with someone that's sitting in this room right now? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising, I'm raising my, I'll raise both hands. I'll be charismatic up here and raise both hands for you at this point because there's no doubt that some of you have some division with somebody somewhere. I know you too well. I know us too well. I know me too well. That we have some type of barriers. And the scripture tells us that the gospel says there are no more barriers. That the gospel crushes our barriers that we have with one another. That if you've got a barrier with me, then you're being an enemy to the gospel, which we'll get to just a little bit in just a little bit. There should be no dividing walls anymore between anybody that's part of the household of faith. And as a Christ follower, none, say none. None of these things should divide us. Okay? Here's what verse 15 says. Uh, verse 15 says, we are now one man. Verse 16 says, we are now one body. And verse 18 says, it is by one spirit. One man, one body, one spirit. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles at the time, and he's talking to all of us today. Paul's trying to get over the fact or, or, or the point that there's no longer two, but there's only one. And look, I, I get that what I'm saying and what I'm about to say is not very popular. And you're kind of stirring up a little bit in your spirit a little bit at me right now. Just calm down. <laughs> but when you, come a, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a member of his body, the whole body. The whole body of Christ. And in effect, spiritually, spiritually, listen, you lose your nationality, spiritually. Spiritually, you lose your political allegiance. Spiritually, you lose any other preference that might divide us from any other follower of Jesus. And you become one. Say one. one. You become one in Christ. All, say all. All, all spiritual divisions end with Jesus. You can write that down. All spiritual division ends with Jesus. Think of what this should mean to you and me today, or, or, or most so, think of what it might have probably meant to the church and these believers in Ephesus. These Gentiles, again, who are not Jews, were cut off from God. Throughout all time, 
They had, they had all been cut off, and now they had been brought near. They had been brought into the family of God. They had been grafted into, or they had been super glued together with the Jewish, Jewish people. So they were made one, those who followed Jesus. Remember, uh, at one point, I had given a yoke example from Matthew chapter 11. And Matthew chapter 11 uh, says, uh, Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So remember, we gave the example, and I think we put some people together up here, and there's a big guy and a little guy together. And you know, a yoke, if you, you're, you're, you're yoked in with somebody, uh, you, you, they kind of pull, the big one probably pulls the other one around and just kind of drags the other person around wherever they're going. They're yoked in together. And Jesus was giving the example. He said, I want you to be yoked in with me, but the yoke that I'm going to give you is easy and light. This is not a burden to bear. This is an easy yoke. I'm trying to make this easier. He said, I'm making this easier on you. Not a burden. And what he's saying is, this is not a burden. The gospel is not a burden like the law. It's not something that you can't, as you just fight all the time. My burden is easy and my, and my yoke is light. Even more so than a yoke, now... Uh, uh, Paul is telling the Ephesian church that we've been grafted in. This is not something that you just hang on to somebody and hang on to you and now you're in a yoke. He says we've been grafted in. Like a skin, if you get a skin graft, you know, it kind of joins together with your other skin and it becomes your skin. That's, what he's, that, that's the example that he's kind of giving. He, we are grafted in. We be, the two have now become one. Outsiders have become what? Insiders, yeah. Aliens become heirs. The outcast becomes first class. That's how all that kind of comes. And that's what Jesus is, and that's what Paul was trying to say that the gospel does for us. Look look what Paul said uh, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so he he was writing the church at Ephesus, and he was reminding them and, and reminding all of us, listen, reminding all of us that at one point we were all dead in our sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he said, this is where you were. If, you, if you're a Christian, you once lived here. And I'll just say this, if you're not a Christian, this is where you live. You follow uh, the, cor- the, the course of this world. You follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you're not a Christian, this is who you follow. No, I don't. I do my own thing. No, you don't. This is what you do. Okay? Verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And we know the two, what's our two favorite words? Yeah, there we are. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And that's where we got, which we're preaching through in Ephesians chapter 2. He has brought them together and super glued them into God's chosen people and made them one people and in essence birthed the church. John Calvin puts it like this. He says, those who were formerly profane, formerly unworthy, have now become partners with the godly. They have now the rights of citizens along with Abraham, with all the holy patriarchs and the prophets and kings. Nay, better than that, with the angels themselves. 
That's what Calvin says about those who were brought near, the, the Gentiles who were brought near, and he would say the same thing about you if you're a Christian today. You have the same rights as citizens along with Abraham, along with the holy patriarchs and the prophets and the kings. Nay, better than that, with the angels themselves. And because God has crushed the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, we too are called to crush any dividing walls that exist between any of us, especially as believers. We don't look at anyone, especially in the church, that we're like we may have before. We don't look at a person of whether they are black or whether they are white or whether they're from another country or whether they're from somewhere that's not where I'm from. If they're not from Kossuth, Mississippi, you know, whatever. You know, we don't look at them in a different way anymore. We don't look whether they're Democrat or Republican. We don't look whether they're poor or rich. We don't look whether they're bulldog or rebel. Because there are no bar- because there are no barriers anymore. Look at what Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. He says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he says, if you were baptized into Christ, which we're going to do today, amen, you, uh, uh, many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have put him on as your garment. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Look what he says. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's talked about the same kind of thing in the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Talk to the church at Corinth. Listen, the church at Corinth was jacked up. Okay? You think this church is jacked up? And it is. Uh, we all need Jesus. Amen? Yeah, come on. Uh, the church at Corinth was jacked. Uh, uh, and so he says, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, because of that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is the opposite of what? Division. Reconciliation is the opposite of division. Remember what we remember our example? Near. Come on. Far. Okay, good. Now, in the same way, we have reconciliation right here. Division. Yeah, there we go. So it's to see near and far. Paul used this language. It's intentional. Near and far, reconciliation and division. He's using those same things to give a picture of what it looks like for us to all be in Christ Jesus now. You see that? What am I trying to say here? Let me ask you a few questions while I catch my breath. Have we or have you erected any barriers to the gospel of Jesus? 
Pay attention. Have you erected any barriers to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are called to erect no barriers. Is your ministry, your life, one of reconciliation? Paul says we're to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to be standing as the mouthpiece of God, pleading with others to be reconciled to God. How do you use your mouthpiece? How do you use this? Do you use this to divide? Do you use this to bring people together? The mouthpiece of reconciliation. The point of this kind of reconciliation, the point that Paul was making here is that we've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. There's no more enmity. There's no more strife between me and God. God God ain't mad at me no more, okay? There's There's no dividing walls between me and God anymore. And we have that message of reconciliation to all men, and we're called to call all men to be reconciled to God. And if one is reconciled to God, we ought to be reconciled to one another. If one is reconciled to God, we ought to be reconciled to one another. This is super critical to the mission of God. If I can't bring myself to speak to some individual because they have a certain religious persuasion or maybe they have a political difference than me or other something petty that we muster ourselves up to be angry about today. You know what I believe the New Testament teaches? That we are seriously compromising the gospel. That you are seriously compromising the gospel whenever we, that becomes the outflow of who we are. My fear is that we become so familiar, we Southerners specifically, have become so familiar with the gospel message, we hear this regularly, right? We, we hear this gospel message regularly, and we've become so accustomed to this language, which I don't like, our own personal relationship with Jesus. I don't like it. I'll tell you why in a minute. That we've become cold to the fact that the gospel is a message of reconciliation. And I know this is hard to somewhat contend with. Living this way hasn't always been easy where there's no contention. The Apostle Paul and Peter themselves had their own contentious times uh, whenever Peter would not eat with some Gentiles and Paul rebuked him sharply. Remember what he said? Paul said the same thing to Peter that I just said to you. He said, if you're unwilling to do this, if you're unwilling to eat with these people, you are compromising the gospel. He's, he's talking about eating a meal with some people and that's, that's pretty low bar. How much more do we do to compromise the gospel? God help us. You may be thinking, well, preacher, this is a little uncomfortable. 
This is Baptism Sunday. We got guests. <laughs> well, the New Testament's not into being comfortable. No matter what your favorite TV preacher might tell you, the New Testament is not about being comfortable. The New Testament is about truth. The New Testament is about gospel proclamation. The New Testament is about changed lives, that we live differently. That Jesus, the New Testament is about the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and all barriers came down. Amen? Hallelujah. You know what I brought? Tambourine. That's tambourine, my butt. And this glorious truth causes us to live differently. It allows us to stop building dividing walls. It allows us to welcome in the outsider. It allows us to open up our homes to people that we, you may go, preacher, I don't open up my home. It will allow even you to open up your home to an outsider. There was a, there was a couple that came to refuge a long time ago. And this, the wife in this relationship was one that said that very statement to me. I don't open up my home to outsiders. I was like, okay, well, come to mind then. And so by demonstration, we, you know, you know my, my door's always open. It's like, come on whenever you want to. You know, if it's a bad time, I'll tell you. Uh, but come on, or just sit and watch it, you know, <laughs> watch the circus. Uh, um, but she, she became part of this church family and watched that happen, watched us live, try to live like what the scripture calls us to. And even before she finally left, she opened up her home to people in our gospel community group. She left and went to a church somewhere down on the coast and began to do that very same thing. It was like she had been birthed anew. And she was welcoming men, people into her home, and the spirit had taken root. The gospel had taken root in her heart. And she saw what it was like to be hospitable. She saw what it was like to give herself away for the sake of the gospel. She saw, saw what it was like to break down the dividing walls between her and other people. Hers were literal walls, which is the way we can do sometimes in our suburbs, right? where we live. We'll close our curtains, close the door, lock the fence, turn the lights off, leave me alone. It's not what we're called to, church. It compels us. The gospel compels us to welcome in the outsider. It demands us for to stand what is true. It demands for us to stand for what is true. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. And whenever we come to Jesus, we come to one another. We come to Jesus, we come to one another. Jesus lived and died for you, and the fact that he has made us one together with him. And in, and, and in this making us one, Paul gave us a picture of what that looks like. And he said in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God. So no longer strangers, no longer aliens, no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, no longer outsiders, but fellow citizens with God's people. One commentator said, Christians are the supreme cosmopolitan community, the third city of the universe. The third city, the third place. You know, people talk about third places, you know, in, in, in social activity. That's why Starbucks is so popular. Their coffee's terrible. Uh, but it's a third place, right? 
So it's where you go when you go, hey, let's go meet somewhere. Where are you going to go? Let's go to Starbucks. Their coffee's terrible, but it's a good place to meet. They've created a third place. This guy was saying that we become a third people, a different place, a place that welcomes people in. We're the Starbucks. We're still kind of terrible. We serve terrible food sometimes, but it's a good place to meet. What is this community that he's talking about? It's all the people who are redeemed. If you're, if you're a Christian in here, you're part of that community. You're part of that community. It's so all the people who have repented and believed the gospel. It's no longer land Israel. That, uh, they, they rejected Jesus. But we're all spiritual Israel if you're a part of the household of faith. We're the, new, the church is the new nation that God has called his own. And as Peter says, we are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Paul says this, this is a new family that we're creating together, and we're members all of the household of God. He likens it to being adopted into God's family and, and uh, God becoming our father, and only God can do the work that makes us as strangers friends. Remember, Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles. We've established they don't like each other, and because of only what Jesus can do in a life. Not only can they become neighbors and live together, but through the gospel they become saints and joint heirs with Christ. So when Jesus does a work, he does it right. Let's finish these verses. Verse 20. He says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom we all uh, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul describes our relationship with the Holy Spirit. He says, the church is a people, listen, where God dwells. We are a people where God dwells. God used to dwell in the temple. He used to live in a place. Now he lives within us as his people. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the table, uh, the, the table, the tabernacle, and the temple uh, is the place where God dwelled. But now He no longer He no longer dwells in buildings made by hands. He dwells within our hearts. The Bible teaches us that God dwells within each of us as Christians. What an incredible truth to think about today: the God who literally spoke the world into existence. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our salvation, the God who rescues sinners, the God who calls us to his own, the God is not, that God is not a distant God out there somewhere, but he is an intimate God who desires and has a relationship with us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And in doing so, he makes us collectively one. Verse 22 says, that in him we are being built together into a dwelling place by God the Spirit. He said, Jesus, earlier it said that Jesus <clears throat> is the cornerstone. He is the one who holds it all together. If Jesus is not present in that, we can try all we want to, but at some point that will crumble. But with Jesus as the cornerstone, it's built on a solid rock. What an incredible truth. So here's the big question. Are you a stranger and an alien to the things of God? Listen. Are you a stranger and an alien 
to the things of God? Do you walk into a church building or to a church gathering like this and go, I don't really belong here. I don't really feel comfortable in, this, in a church setting. Do you feel really, if you were pressed on it a little bit, do you feel like something is missing from your life? There's something that is just not there, something that is just not right. You know that you're probably just playing this religious game that we've learned to play our entire lives, but you're playing this game, but your life is not about reconciliation, but one of division. If you just really honestly examine your life, you go, I'm not about bringing people together. I'm about making separation. Or are you a fellow citizen? with the saints and the members of the household of God? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Spirit of God, live within you. Does the Spirit of God speak to your spirit and go, you are mine and I am yours? Here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking if your grandma went to church, okay? I'm not asking if you were confirmed in some ceremony somewhere along the way. I'm not asking you if you even think if you're a good person or not. I'm asking you, are you a Christian? Have you been saved? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and turned away from my sinful nature and trusted and followed Jesus? There should be a distinct difference in who I was and who I am. Is there a difference and you today, have you repented and believed the gospel? Believe that Jesus came. He is God in the flesh. He came and lived the life you cannot live. He lived a sinless life. He obeyed the law in all places. He died on a cross to cover your sin death. And God raised him from the dead. Have you believed that with all your heart? Have you trusted Jesus as your only Savior? And today I must ask this last question. Are there any dividing walls between you and others? Listen to me. Are there any dividing walls between you and other people? Between former friends? Between neighbors? Between family? The point of gospel reconciliation is to move toward these things. It's to move toward reconciliation. It's to move toward making up. It's to move toward going, I was wrong. Why? It helps us declare these things. With this, I'll be closed. To declare that we know that we've been reconciled. The God of the universe doesn't hold my sin against me. Who am I to hold my sin, their sin against, against me? God of the universe doesn't hold my sin against him. Against me. Who am I to hold someone else's sin against me? There's no more enmity. There's no more strife between God and me. And we have the message of reconciliation for all men. That they are to be reconciled to God. And if one is reconciled to God, listen, we ought to be reconciled to one another. Today, I'm going to invite you to be reconciled to Jesus. 
And I'm going to encourage you to be reconciled to one another. Let me pray for us.